Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Ag My Optics, a podcast where two adults discuss, overanalyze and generally take a kid's toy and media franchise a little too seriously. Usually that of the Transformers. I am your deeply serious Zen master with a dark past co-host, Orion Gear, and with me is my lumbering idiot savant with a heart of gold co-host, Virtual Dave. Say hello to our listeners, Virtual Dave. So today you find us doing another one of our retrospective episodes where we dredge up a Transformers line of old and talk about it for a couple of hours. And this time we're going to tackle the often overlooked or underrated Transformers animated. Mm -hmm. So just for a bit of background, after seven years of the Transformers brand being ostensibly handed over to the Japanese during the Eurocron Trilogy era, 2007 saw Transformers back where it began, sort of, in North America. At the time, Hasbro had a number of irons in the fire, the Transformers movie franchise was kicking off, live-action one, Transformers Classics had been running as a nostalgia-based placeholder toy line, there were still a few alternators and G1 commemorative reissues kicking about, the shelves of Toys R Us, and something, given the working title of Transformers Heroes, which had been in development since 2004, was about to come to fruition. Transformers Animated was a partnership between Hasbro and Cartoon Network Studios to develop an animated TV show and toy line. It was delayed somewhat to make way for the 2007 live-action movie and its accompanying toy line. Transformers Animated was vastly different in style, tone and format to anything that had come before, and it debuted on Virtual Dave's birthday in 2007. Woohoo! Uh, when he was what? Um, 15? I, uh, I, I messed up the maths last time. I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> I, I, I think I have a better idea of how old you are than you do. I think you were 15, yeah. roughly. For context, I turned 29 in 2007, which coincidentally is Dave's age right now, right? That's correct, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so as a fresh-faced teenager, how did Animated find you in 2007, Dave? Um, in looking doing my research for this, I was trying to remember where I would have watched animated, and I really can't tell you how I watched it. I do remember, uh, obviously, the movie coming out, the build-up, the hype around that, and seeing uh, the toys in stores and whatnot. But when animated itself, like I think the first time I saw it was in a magazine. Mm-hmm. I used to buy, you know. The, standard magazines that had a toy in the front and do the competitions and whatnot. In there, they had something about Transformers Animated, like a little spread talking about the show. And they had a poster of all the characters and that iconic cover of all of them doing a cool pose. Mm -hmm. And obviously, after watching the movie, the Michael Bay movie, I thought that this was going to be like some sort of Saturday morning show of that. And I thought, oh, the green one must be Ratchet. Mm Mm-hmm. But that one looks like G1 Ratchet, so that wait, that can't be right. And I thought, oh, that must be Jazz, but it's Prowl. And you know, I <laughs> I remember I remember thinking that this was like some sort of um, oh, they just messed up the names. I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, well, it was a bit jarring, wasn't it? If the movie was your first experience, or, I know it wasn't your first experience, but if it was your first experience of Transformers at the time, especially since that movie had just come out earlier that year. Seeing this TV series, it's it's very, very different. It's not at all 
the same thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably what it was. I just assumed that there was going to be more of a connection between the movies and this. Yeah. But I think when I eventually started watching it, that became very clear that it had nothing to do with the movie. Mm. Better for it, to be honest. Well, yeah, um, well, I, yes, I 100% agree with that. <laughs> but yes, I did watch it and I vaguely remember watching season one at least on TV somehow. And I don't think I watched the last, the other two seasons until much later via mm-hmm. YouTube or something. But I loved it. I, de- I bought pretty much most of the toys in the toy line I could get. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great show. Right. My experience was I remember it being teased because hmm. 2007 was pretty much the last year I was interested in Transformers before <laughs> the purge. Well, maybe 2008. <laughs> But, like, the movie had just come out, it was dog shit, and I hated Hasbro. And <laughs> I saw them teasing, uh, they teased some, uh, like, some artwork, some uh, early artwork for um, for Transformers Animated. I don't know whether it was before the movie came out or after the movie came out, but I remember it being teased, and I remember there being quite a lot of negativity towards the art style, which I actually really liked the look of. I thought it looked great, and... I wouldn't have minded seeing the show be a bit more like some of the early concept work because I quite liked it. It was a little bit more, um, it was a little bit less deliberately Cartoon Network-y. It was more like uh, Iron Giant type of feel, the way they looked. Yeah, exactly. It felt it felt stylistically a bit more distinct. Yeah. But I mean, still, I thought it looked good. Lots of people didn't. Lots of people thought it looked kidsy and... You know, kid orientated. Heaven forbid, yeah, a toy line <laughs> and, a t- and a cartoon network show be kid orientated. Oh no, no, no! Let's have Murder Prime instead. I can't remember if I had liked the art style at you know those initial the images that we would have seen online and stuff, but I can't imagine me not liking it because I didn't like how the Unicorn trilogy went from 2D animation to 3D. Mm. And like more and more so, like I didn't like um, the way the designs of uh, the characters looked in 3D. I think it's the 2D animation kind of suited it a bit better. I mean, the 3D animation in the Unicorn trilogy was bad. Mostly. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, it was that period of time where 3D animation was a bit clunky and, and overused as well. I mean, it, it, it just, it just, um, makes me, like, I can't believe when people can't take Beast Wars 3D animation and complain of its look and design when I think sometimes some of the stuff in Unicorn Trilogy was worse. Yeah, I mean, I can understand people looking at Beast Wars, especially if it's, if they're younger and they don't remember it happening at the time. It doesn't look wonderful by today's standards, but you have to look at it in context. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I was interested, but I was losing interest in Transformers as a whole at the time. Mm-hmm. So I did watch seasons one and two, and I think I started watching season three, and I think I just dropped off. So I think I've only seen it all the way to the end, like recently, as in doing the research for this podcast. Mm-hmm. As for the toys, um, I got some of them. I enjoyed them quite a lot. Didn't have as many of you, clearly, by the sound of it anyway. I had quite a few of the show characters. I basically bought the ones I liked. Okay. And we'll get on to the ones I don't like later. 
So before we get on to the show itself, should we just talk a little bit about how the show has developed? I mean, do you know much about that? Um, I think it had the same lead designer from Teen Titans and... Yeah, uh, art director Derek J. Wyatt, R.I.P. He died last year, Mm -hmm. I think. Art director and lead character designer. He's pretty much responsible for how the show looks. He previously worked on, well, shock horror. He previously worked on Legion of Superheroes and Teen Titans, and that's why it looks like those things. Mm -hmm. And it's very super heroic in tone as well, so it kind of fits, doesn't it? Yeah, I think the majority of the stuff I knew about it, even as it was airing, is about how it had a strong art style approach like Teen Titans. It was that it was very, very stylized. And yeah. it was really going to focus on that hero element. Mm-hmm. But that's about as much as I know. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, the art director previously worked on Teen Titans and he was a big Transformers fan as well. Mm-hmm. You can see it. Like, the animation style is very similar to shows like Teen Titans. Like, a lot of Cartoon Network shows at the time. Mm-hmm. This being a very savvy move, I think, by um, by Hasbro that they... And even though it did end up scuppering the show, they got together with a network that makes good cartoons <laughs> <laughs> and said, look, make us a, a good cartoon show. Mm. And they, it was a collaboration with Cartoon Network, who at the time were making and had made great stuff. You know, you have things like Powerpuff Girls and um, uh, Dexter's Lab and, mm. and Teen Titans all kind of came that was were massive. That worked really well and there was a lot of collaboration which we'll we'll talk about a bit when we get on to talking about the toys so they brought across that distinctive art style the cartoon network art style and it was also unlike and we mentioned this earlier unlike that kind of cgi-ness of um the old unicorn trilogy stuff or the previous unicorn trilogy stuff they went for a more kind of hand-drawn style Mm -hmm. which i really really appreciated it's a it's a very nicely animated, very good-looking show. Oh yeah, it's. Uh, well, I guess you can you can really uh, tell in the way characters fight, mm-hmm. or the way that they express themselves, or even like little things like um, bulkhead. Mm-hmm. You know how he has the big doors on his back. Yeah. I like how they flip around and he sits on them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes that's true. Yeah. 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 <laughs> No, it's it's well it's well thought out, and I mean apparently the design style was was a deliberate attempt to attract modern youth viewers, as it were. Like me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you at the time, well, I suppose you were maybe a little old for it at like fifteen, <laughs> but yeah, roughly. The robots have a more kind of organic feel to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, that was all to do with wanting to ha- allow the robots to be more expressive and more able to. Um, feel more like proper characters rather than big blocks that moved around the screen. If you know what I mean? I mean, you look at like those um, Unicron trilogy shows and everyone's just... <laughs> their legs, when they run, they look mad and they, and they don't look like real things. They look kind of nuts. It also allows them to go off model a lot mm-hmm. and, and it not be a problem. Like when, when it happened in Transformers Armada and they went off model, it looks so weird so mm. <laughs> hilariously yeah. bad well, i mean that that was also because it was poorly animated and poorly oh. drawn at times like it wasn't yeah. 
Some of it was good, but some of it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it's much more consistent. This show is much more consistent. Like the the, mm. the animation barely falls down at all. It's very yeah. it's very good. And yeah, the the organic thing just allows you to kind of be then be to be more dramatic and move more dramatically. And and it doesn't matter if people's limbs and body stretches and because you're doing mm-hmm. it in a hand drawn way, it looks fine, you know. Yeah. So they're able to express more emotion, basically. I do love that they carried over some of the very Japanese transformation sequences, though. I mean, they, and they didn't yeah. overdo it. It was very sprinkles. They're very lights flashing behind them transformations. Agreed. It, it happens, but it doesn't happen every episode. Yeah. <laughs> that starts going, getting very tedious in the trilogy. <laughs> Apparently, D- Bulkhead was one of the first ones, talking of Bulkhead, was one of the first ones to be designed by uh, Derek J. Wyatt mm-hmm. because he was unfettered by previous designs and nostalgia. You know, he was a new character, mm-hmm. which is quite good. I'm glad that they... I'm glad that he brought new characters in, like Bulkheads, brand new. No one, you know, Lugnuts, new. You know, like there are there are new characters and ones based on older ones. You know, it's not just let's just do the same guys over and over and over. Oh yeah, even introducing like new concepts for characters, like Lockdown being a bounty hunter and him being a Lockdown was a new character. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like it was nice that they. Not just introduce a new character like Mike Bulkhead being part of the team. Mm-hmm. Lockdown was a bounty hunter of such, but a bounty hunter who wasn't really aligned with anyone. He wasn't necessary. He's Death's Head. Yeah, that, like he's not a. <laughs> he is essentially Death's Head. They've even admitted it. They've even admitted that it was, but he was quite considerably based on Death's Head. And then later on, they named his ship the Death's Head. Oh, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> but go on. I was going to say it's one of those new... Lockdown's one of those examples of a new character who's really stuck, mm. similar to Bulkhead, and he's ended up in other shows and live action movies and things. Yep. Like, it's just goes to show how, how good they were done, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And with it being developed in concert with the movie, obviously you've got some movie bits coming through, like uh, The Allspark, mm-hmm. which we've previously discussed... The Allspark exists purely because they didn't want to call it The Matrix because The Matrix movies uh, existed, which you, you found actually absolutely shocking the first time I told you. I did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like that the Matrix, the, the Allspark looked like a giant Matrix, the container it was in. It looks more like a suitcase. <laughs> An orange suitcase with a grey handle. <laughs> yeah. Similar. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose it does look a bit like The Matrix, yes, yeah. it's true. And Blackout appears much later as well. Mm. Oh, yes. Yeah, so yeah. He's, a, he's a movie character, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Other important creative staff included executive producer James Register, who was, I think at the time, the vice president of Cartoon Network. Oh. And Marty Eisenberg, story editor, who previously worked on Beast Machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was responsible for a lot of the scripts. And then um, there are a few other people, a few other kind of Cartoon Network alumni, like uh, uh, Reno Maramba and uh, Matty Youngberg, I think, who were the main directors on it. My it's a Transformers TV show, but with a difference. It's very much got a kind of super heroic kind of tone rather than what we've had previously. Mm-hmm. And I think it's um, 
it goes to show, like, uh, there's been many Transformers series over the years, and a lot of them kind of stick to a formula, you know, set out by G1. Mm-hmm. You know, two warring factions, basically at a stalemate until Megatron comes up with them, you know, weapon of the week mm-hmm. to turn the tables or something, called there's a MacGuffin he's chasing. Whereas much in this show, they've kind of thrown that out the window, and they're doing something very different, but yet it still stays true to a lot of what you already know in Transformers lore. Like, it's a different way of starting the show to begin with. It still kind of adheres to a lot of the tropes, but yeah, it does do it in a different way. Yeah, like, I think, say, like, how the characters are introduced, or, like, how you find out more about them as the show goes along, you realise that this is not just, you know, all bots are good guys, Decepticons are bad guys. Like, there Mm -hmm. is definitely some sort of grey area amongst both sides, because... You think? Like it's, 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 they've done it in a way where you've never really seen, uh, the corruption on the Autobot side as much as Isha puts it out. Like, all the stuff with, on Cybertron and Sentinel Prime and all the other Autobots who are meant to be the actual elite warriors, who are not this team that we're following. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> It's almost similar. It's almost similar in a way to like Beast Wars because they're not the the main cast are not warriors. No, that's true. Yeah, they are like a repair team. They're not equipped for the for the battle they've been thrown into. But by the end of it, you believe that Optimus Prime is worthy to be leader of all Autobots, as it were. Do you? I I mean I do. All right. All right. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it is definitely a different take. Because I mean, maybe we should just talk rough for those who haven't watched it. I mean, why are you even listening to this if you haven't watched it? <laughs> uh, and there may be some spoilers. Um, I should probably stick that in there. There may be some spoilers if you haven't watched all three seasons. I'll try and avoid spoilers, but you know, there may be a few. But yeah, the the general plot, the setup is that the Great War happened in the past. And it seems to be played out in a very kind of G1 sort of way, generally. Pretty sure those clips are from G1. There are some <laughs> clips, yeah, but that's just, just, that's just a homage, isn't it? It's not, it's not <laughs> saying this is the same continuity. It's yeah. just saying this is what the Great War looked like and there are clips of G1. But it's more <laughs> of a kind of like, you know, hey, nod to the, nod to the old school fans kind of thing, rather than this is all in continuity. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you've got the Great War. The Autobots won the war, we assume. Mm-hmm. I think the Decepticons are like in exile or something, aren't they, basically? Yeah. And then you've got, um, a maintenance crew led by a young, inexperienced Prime. And in this inanimated, Prime is a rank. And it's mm-hmm. not even a particularly high rank. It's below something like Magnus, uh, for example. Mm-hmm. So he he um ha- he runs a space bridge maintenance crew, and the crew consists of Optimus Prime, Bumblebee, Bulkhead, Ratchet, and Prowl. Mm-hmm. They happen to be out fixing a particular space bridge, and then all of a sudden they well they find they find the Allspark somehow. It just happens to be there. 
And then they get attacked by a Decepticon battleship, which of course is called the Nemesis, and is of course under the control of a guy called Megatron, who is the ultimate leader of the Decepticons. What are the chances? And the Decepticon team consists of uh, Megatron, Starscream, Lugnut, Blitzwing, and weirdly Black Arachnia. Mm-hmm. And uh, battle ensues. Starscream betrays Megatron. Autobot ship goes through the space bridge. Megatron on board. All but Starscream abandoned the Nemesis as it hurtles towards a broken space bridge. And then above a very familiar looking planet, Megatron gets thrown overboard from the Autobot ship. And the Autobot ship crash lands this time in a lake. Mm-hmm. Lake Erie in Detroit. And then we go forward 50 years and they've all been offline for that time. And then they get woken up due to uh, something. I can't remember what it was now. Probably some kind of experiment gone wrong Yeah. by Isaac Sundak, who in the time between them crash landing and them reawakening in uh, the 22nd century in Detroit, he's kind of basically become like this... Well, what is he? He's basically a, a robotics genius. And the city's full of robots that he's designed and built. Yeah, he's like... Uh, I was gonna, what's his name? Like a Elon Musk mm. and... Steve Jobs all kind of came together and made a robot robot empire in Detroit. Yes, something like that. <laughs> something like that, yeah. And he Entrepreneur. Yes, exactly. And he runs like a huge, you know, Sundak Industries and um that's that's that. So that's basically the setup. And from that point, Bumblebee befriends Isaac Sundak's daughter Sari, and for some reason the Allspark gives her a magic key. That solves every problem ever. <laughs> <laughs> and then something with the key alerts the Decepticon ship, so Starscream turns up. And things just start to move slowly towards the reveal at the end of the first season. Mm-hmm. That Was it revealed at the fir- end of the first season or is it earlier than that? It's earlier, it's earlier, than, than, that. earlier than that. It's the end of that, that three-part miniseries. It is, you're right, you're right, yeah. And the reveal is that Megatron's head... Uh, survived, and he's mm-hmm. inside Sundak's tower. And it turns out Isaac Sundak based most of, most of his um, robotics technology on stuff stolen, not stolen, but taken from that head, basically. Mm-hmm. And then Megatron comes online, and the whole first season is all about Megatron basically getting himself a body back. Yeah. And in the meantime, we have some very kind of like quite light-hearted kind of um, superheroic kind of stuff, generally. Yeah, it's very much establishing the Autobots in this world and them interacting with humans in a world where they're already kind of used to robots and robotics, but not as advanced as them. Yeah, not sentient transforming ones. Not yeah. Senti- yeah, but like it's not as... Um, not as shocking to everyone that there's giant robots going around. Mm. It's more the destruction they cause in these <laughs> massive fights. <laughs> it's good that the Autobots want to... That You do see the Autobots fixing that destruction. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they do kind of become, in a way, the kind of Detroit superhero team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, saving people from various superpowered people or you know, experiments gone wrong and, you know, mm. then afterwards they clean up and shake the hands with the mayor, you know, it's all... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you have human supervillains yes. as well. Yeah. And many of the episodes are based around that kind of thing. The Decepticons do turn up, 
But mm. for most of the first season, they, I wouldn't say they're there a lot. You know, they're, they're there here and there. Sometimes they're behind the scenes. Sometimes they're not. But there are whole episodes that have nothing to do with Decepticons. Yeah, I think some of those are. It's a, I don't know how, what's the best to describe it. It's very, it's very much like when the Decepticons are introduced. It's a, it's a gauge of like, okay, so when they fight the humans, yeah, they may have some sort of weird robotic enhancement to make them a bit of a threat, especially at a human level. Mm. But you know, the Autobots most of the time can deal with them pretty easily. And then you have that balance with when a Decepticon arrives and just knocks the crap out of them mm-hmm. and sends them through buildings and like how much, how much more of a, just stature wise, they're massive, most of the Decepticons compared yes. to the robots. And when they arrive, you get the, the difference in how severe when they are there compared to when it's just, well, you know. and, and there's, there's a huge difference between how the Autobots are size-wise and also what they're equipped for. I mean, yes. they are, they're maintenance bots. They don't have weapons as such. They have tools. Yes. Uh, whereas, whereas Decepticons are armed to the teeth. <laughs> because the Decepticons are a warring faction. These guys, they go about fixing space bridges. So they have <laughs> magnets and, um, and axes and, uh, yeah, tools for fixing mm-hmm. things, you know? I mean... Bulkhead has a wrecking ball, you know, like they're not really designed for combat. Yes, and they very much have the limitations of not being able to fly as well, because that is something they keep to miss is that all the Decepticons can fly. Yeah, well, well that's that re- that's a proper like <laughs> nod and a wink to uh, G1, isn't it, really? <laughs> There's a lot of that in this. There's lots and lots and lots mm-hmm. of that. Maybe we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, it is, it's very much kind of an episodic superheroic kind of show even though it has an overarching plot which in season one is Megatron getting himself a new body and returning mm. at the end of the end of the first season the episodes can be viewed quite standalone they don't necessarily have to be watched in order mm-hmm. this is much more true I say of season one and maybe two than three but definitely yeah. you definitely have to get that feeling that you could just switch it on on a Saturday morning and it didn't matter if you'd seen episodes one to five you could be watching episode six and go i get this this makes sense i guess it fits the type of formula of my kids shows at the time you know that whole you can jump in at at any point during those type of early episodes and Mm. you'll still be able to follow who the characters are and whatnot and because i guess the big bad hasn't really been revealed yet you've still got time to latch on but it's um i think Villains-wise, uh, in those first few seasons, I really liked the uh, the mishmash of you know human characters and Decepticons. It was very interesting to see like uh, oh, I forgot his name, but Meltdown. Meltdown, yeah. The guy who, can just, who becomes this acid person. Um, how someone like that is like, even though he's a human. A metahuman or whatever, he's still quite a threat to, you know, a human and. Well, yeah, because you can basically melt transformers, so. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, that's just, that's, uh, it's kind of like, it's almost like kryptonite, isn't it, in a way, to, uh, to a transformer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, it's just sort of like, I, I think, uh, it's not something that gets played around with a lot in transformers that humans are 
considered some sort of a threat to transform. Well, I mean, unless you read Marvel UK or, or, or the Marvel Yeah, I know, I know you guys have got your <laughs> short circuit or mega circuit, whatever that is. <laughs> circuit breaker. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, that's only one example. But, um, but yes. And, and that kind of makes sense because Marvel Comics are used to writing superhero comics. So it's mm. not surprising that there are human threats. So, yeah, it kind of mirrors that in a way. My mm. The cartoon began with a three-episode mini-movie, mm-hmm. first aired in, on Cartoon Network on your birthday, mm-hmm. Boxing Day 2007, and it was followed by a 13-episode season, which started airing in January. But the toys themselves didn't hit the shops until spring of 2008, so there's a bit of a gap. Wow. Typical um, Hasbro timing. Typical Hasbro. <laughs> Transformers Animated got delayed because of the movie's popularity. It would have been out earlier if it wasn't for the movie. Mm. And of course, when they were developing it, it wasn't meant to have anything to do with the movie. The movie didn't even exist yet. Mm. So that's why it's so different, in a way. It saw the return of several G1 voice actors reprising their roles. Uh, Susan Blue playing RC. Um, Corey Burton Mm. was playing Shockwave, as well as also playing Megatron. Um, but he played Shockwave in the original G1 cartoon, and John Mushita was playing Blur, and there were a few others here and there. And our favourite, David Kay, mm-hmm. previously Megatron from Beast Wars, played Ultras Prime for the first time. Yeah, that, that was... I mean, I didn't realise that happened until many years later that it was David Kay. Mm. I think I love the character even more so because of it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll get into it when we talk about the characters, but do you remember our last talk about leaders and I picked Optimus Prime? It's now that you've gone back to the series, do you get where I was coming from? I do, but I don't agree. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll get into that. Oh, I'm, I'm interested. I mean, no, no I do, right. I do, but I, 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 I mm, we'll get onto it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talked about it in our um, Top of the Bots leaders was it the it was the one that we actually put out not the yeah yeah, the other one (laughs) not the other one that is a is 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 going to be exclusive content at some point on patreon which will be it's about toys but this was the one about our favorite leaders and without ruining it guys it's about two or two or three podcasts back now probably episode 18 or something you placed optimus prime quite highly Mm -hmm. in your favorite leaders animated optimus prime obviously but I know I do see what you were talking about. Um, I just don't... Um, I'll get on to it. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, David Kay did a great job. He always does. Okay, so scenes were kind of already alluded to it a little bit. Let's talk about the characters. Would you like to take us through your thoughts on... Let's, let's go with the Autobots first. So who are the main Autobot characters? Well, I guess we should start with everyone's favourite Kid Pill character. Um, we've got Bumblebee. Mm. In the show, I think this is probably the last time for a long time that Bumblebee could talk for like ten years. <laughs> it's the first time in in a long time we've had a Bumblebee. Oh yes, of course that as well. Like they, this this is the first show they got his um license trademark, his copyright. Yeah, they got the they got the trademark back for the movie for the Transformers movie. Yeah. So. Originally, when they developed were developing this show, they hadn't got the trademark, and he was going to be Hotshot. 
Ah, uh, yes, yeah, I think I've seen he's he's in it as well, though, isn't he? At some point. Yeah, later, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah. but that, but originally, <laughs> Bumblebee was going to be Hotshot, and Ratchet was going to be um, Red Alert. Oh right. Uh, but anyway, so Bumblebee is an annoying jerk character put there for kids to idolise. <laughs> Um, Bumblebee, yes, at the start, he's at the loud. start, <laughs> he is loud, obnoxious, arrogant, mm-hmm. very similar to season one, G4. And then you've got Bulkhead, who is massive, and I've got lovable, clumsy, idiot, big guy. Yes, yeah, uh, I think that, that sums up Bulkhead. He's one of those Autobots who you would think would be like just design wise you would think he would be like a massive brawler or you know like an ironhide type like a tough guy but he's really not and it really um well he is he's a tough guy but he's he's more of a um he's a workman you know what i mean yeah yeah he's 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 he's, i think out of all of them in that first season he's like you he really cements that whole thing about don't judge a book by his cover Mm -hmm. like he is not that autobot but he has to be sometimes, if that makes sense. Like, he's not necessarily the tough guy, but he, he doesn't mind stepping up to that when it comes to saving his friends or whatever. Yeah. Like, he doesn't actually want to hurt people, but he'll protect... Well, I mean, look at his design. He's just a big block. Yes. <laughs> he is huge. He's much bigger than the rest of them. Yeah. Um, anyway, what else? We've got Ratchet, who I think out of all of them, he's the only one who actually was in the war. And saw stuff. Yeah. Like, a lot of stuff. Like, serious PTSD from Ratchet and, you know, depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think for the, first, for the first season, they will kind of fob it off that he's just old. And uh, I know you say to watch out for Decepticons, but they can't be that bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've already beat them. You know, what's to worry about, Ratchet? Mm. <laughs> and you've got Prowl who is unlike any other version of Prowl, so up to that point, of just being a loner. He doesn't like um, working in a team. He prefers to do things on his own. He thinks that because of his ninja training, he's a lot more fluid, stealthy. He thinks that the others are just clumsy and irritable um, and gets in his way. I never got that idea from him at all. Uh, lots of people say that, and I just—I don't think he ever says anything like that ever. So where do people get this idea from? It's only for like the first few episodes. He—he he, he gets he gets out of it. Okay, yeah. You know, halfway through this first season. But you learn—you learn by the end of season three why he would have been like that, really. Oh yeah. What else I was going to get to? All of them have these things mm. that, as the show goes along, you find out why they. Well, basically, why they ended up on this crew of misfits, yeah. and why they are the crew of misfits. You know, each of them have a character trait that is caught by some sort of event in their past. Yeah, and you can tell it was really well thought out how they were going to reveal each of those things and how it would tie in to the episode or a villain or someone coming back from Cybertron. Like it, it was well thought out why they weren't all perfect from the get go. Why they weren't all a friendly, you know, chummy team from the beginning. Mm-hmm. They needed to build up to it. And I think it, you know, you really, um, appreciate it more and you love the characters. Um, even the annoying ones, or you understand why they're annoying. 
I don't understand why Bumblebee's annoying. <laughs> I think Bumblebee is annoying, or he's loud, because he wanted to fit in with the elite guards, mm-hmm. and he wanted to go through the ranks and to be like, you know, Sentinel and all those others. Uh, and he was willing to do anything to do so. And when he couldn't, I think he just does it for attention. That's mm-hmm. the best way to really, it's like, like a, a younger sibling, I suppose, is what you would say. It's, yeah. um, he's doing things in order just to be in the spotlight and stuff like that. Sure. <laughs> I just think he's annoying for the entire three seasons. I, th- I think I think he's. Um, I don't think he's. I don't think he has any redeemable features. I think he's a horrible character. Oh, I don't go that far. But I just don't like him. I he just. Oh, I don't know. I just. Don't, I just don't find him entertaining. But I understand. I don't know why it is, but every kids show has to have some annoying little jerk mm-hmm. making wisecracks and just basically being a dick. For some reason, that's the one we're meant to like. That's what I was saying. He reminds me a lot of like season one Cheetor, but Cheetor definitely kind of grows out of that as the show goes along. Yeah, whereas Bumblebee doesn't. He doesn't. He definitely, he definitely sticks with those tropes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. But I mean... Well, we haven't spoken about Prime, and I think that's probably one we want to get onto because we, we clearly have different opinions on Prime. Well, yeah, I'm saying Prime for last. I think mm-hmm. from the first episode, you see Prime has the skill, like he's been trained for battle. Because mm-hmm. in that first episode where the space bridge is about to blow up or something and it's all going everywhere, he saves each of his team and he does it in a really you know, cool, flashy way. And even Prowl is shocked by his elegance and being able to do it. So there was like, like hints of that he could do stuff. Mm-hmm. But in order for leading a team, he's obviously very inexperienced with commanding other Autobots and, you know, getting them to gel. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it wasn't a question of his skills, it was more a question of his leadership at the beginning. Even he doubts himself a lot in the show. Does he? Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's it's subtle. He's just very, he's quite one note. I mean, I like him enough. I think he's a good (laughs) character, but... I don't know. I find other characters more interesting than him. Oh, yeah, uh, uh, it's it's not so much about him being interesting. It's more just his. You really get the feeling that he's like all the others. He's troubled by his past mm-hmm. of making bad decisions or yeah. not being able to save people, and sometimes you feel like he's overcompensating. Like I think at the end of the first season, when before Megatron arrives. He has to get them all together and protect the Allspark, and he's just doing a terrible job. Like, it's just... Yeah, I, okay, <laughs> I'd agree with that. I would agree with that. I mean, he's fine. I, I don't hate him. I just, I mean, I wouldn't say he's as complex a character as, say, Optimus Primal from Beast Wars. No. He's similar in a lot of ways, mm. but he's kind of a, like a simpler version of that, I think. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's, mm. this, I mean, this show has loads of parallels to Beast Wars. Uh, and, and G1 and everything else. Yeah, yeah. But I mean... This show is nostalgia done right, in my opinion, because it takes lots of influences, lots of little visual cues and little Easter eggs and stuff. Oh, so much of that. <laughs> from previous shows, from the entire gamut 
of Transformers, not just G1, mm-hmm. Beast Wars and so on. And it throws them all in there while still being its own thing. Yes. <laughs> the amount of times you see um, Spike, Daniel and Carly in their very 2005 <laughs> clothes, um, whereas everyone else is wearing normal stuff. It's just, yeah, it's kind of like human characters. Yeah, It is great how it's sprinkled in there. And it's not, um, it, yeah, I, I get what you mean. Yeah, it's done, it's done well. It definitely um, makes little kind of references to um, G1 and other things. Like you've got uh, Prime as a G1 trailer in one scene, I think. And yeah, uh, yeah. like you say, you've got the Wiki family appearing here and there. <laughs> and like we mentioned earlier, the clips um, of the of the war that were from G1. Mm-hmm. I think it was from War Dawn, I think. They even have. Um... The Pretenders as like some sort of human experiments gone wrong. <laughs> uh, Bomb Burst and Submarauder. Yeah. Yeah. And Weird Al Yankovic plays Retgar. Oh, does he? Yep. Oh. <laughs> Did you not know that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He does the voice of Retgar, oh, uh, right. which is a nice kind of nod to Dare to be Stupid. Uh. <laughs> yeah, because I read this actually. Originally, the creators wanted Eric Idle to play Retgar like he did in the mm. movie. Um, but he was busy making spam a lot, I think. So uh, they asked Weird Al instead. And I mean, Retgar even looks like Weird Al. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that's deliberate. <laughs> and there's some really, some real deep cuts in places, like um, way, way later, much later, um, when mm. I think season three, when they go to uh, Cybertron. And there's bloody... Um, Grandus is there, like um. Oh yeah, yeah, he's like, in the like, lineup. Yeah, yeah. yeah like the <laughs> no, he's he's screaming because he because because he's scared it's of sorry. So, yeah, but like yeah, I mean he's from like um a Japanese only TV show. Like um, <laughs> I can't remember what it's called now, but that's a really deep cut. Oh, I think it, I've got it in my notes. Transformers: Return of Convoy. That's. Yeah, right. I mean that that didn't even make it over to the US. <laughs> so like. It's it's pretty impressive, and there's some homages to other things as well, like non Transformers things. Mm-hmm. There's homages to Tenga Topaga and Lagan. Is it? Yeah, Dirt Boss. Ah. Oh yeah. And also when when spoilers, Sari upgrades herself. That's mm-hmm. very like the animation from from that show, and also a little bit like uh, Fui Kui as well. It is, yeah. Sentinel Prime is modelled on the tick. <laughs> it was his chin. <laughs> and he's voiced by the guy who voiced the tick. Is he? Yep. Wow. Townsend Coleman in the tick cartoon series. And that's really early on. I know I noticed this. So I noted it down. Well, I don't know how early on it is, but it's an episode where Optimus Prime has to save someone or something from a spaceship. Oh, I can't remember exactly what episode it was. But he's in an air duct. Mm. He's crawling through an air duct. And he says, Sure, Trans won't be onto the ship. Rescue my old buddy from a bunch of Decepticons. It'll be fun. <laughs> Which is a reference to Die Hard. Die Hard. <laughs> this was actually a late episode in Season 3 called Decepticon Air. Optimus also employed the same exploding elevator trick John McClane used in Die Hard. I like the um, the usage of like all the Beast Wars jargon in this show as well, like Protoform, Megacycle. 
you know sparks all of that like it it really cemented it in like stuff outside of that show like it really when it's starting to ingrain itself into other things mm-hmm. like those concepts would continue yeah well let's let's wrap up talking about the characters so let's uh, talk about the decepticons um well i mean let's just start with the best character of them all uh starscream you think uh, <laughs> <laughs> i mean he thinks he's the best character of them all so okay <laughs> uh no yeah so in the Decepticon side, you've got Starscream, who is pretty much like G1 Starscream. Yeah, he's very, he's playing to his stereotype, isn't he? Very much. But he's a lot more threatening than G1 Starscream. He's just not, uh, as like a lightweight, like he actually can hold his own in a fight and does, he was the main antagonist for most of those beginning encounters with Decepticons. Um, That's because he was the only Decepticon, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, he is the... He's not a pushover. He's definitely... No. Somewhat of a threat, more so than, you know, he just wants to overthrow Megatron for the sake of it and go home. And he actually is quite conniving. And then you've got Blitzwing and Lugnut, who kind of are, like, the comedy relief. So Decepticons for at least the first two seasons? I'd say for all of them, really. It's a very weird it's a weird take on Blitzwing, and it's something that, at least in toy form, stuck around for a bit the whole him being a triple change and then he had three personalities and then three faces. Yeah, I think that's good, and I like the fact that they um they capitalise on that in one episode. Oh, and they use it against him or mm. in combat, yeah. <laughs> They kind of they appeal to the personality that turns into a tank while he's flying, and he turns into a tank and falls out the sky. Oh, I thought that was quite good. I think it's um, is it Manny Faces from He Man? Yes, it's very yeah, it's similar to Manny Faces from uh, from from He Man. In, in yeah, yes, his his faces rotate. Yeah, he has three faces. Yeah, but like they're weird, aren't they? I mean, they're all German. Yes. <laughs> and he's kind of modelled to look a little bit like a kind of German tank officer or something, isn't he? Yeah. The, his head sculpt is very <laughs> like that. But one of them is, I think they, I think you describe them as kind of um, fire and ice, don't they? Because one of them mm-hmm. has fire abilities, one has ice abilities, and one prefers the tank alt mode, one prefers the um, mm-hmm. plane alt mode, and then the third one is just crazy. Yeah, it's just, it's just immense over the last one, yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed them. Mm. In terms of, like, L- Lugnut, on the other hand, is, like, devoted to Decepticon cause and Megatron wholeheartedly, like... Unfailingly loyal. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm sure there are more Decepticons that have, you know, carried on that type of idea now. But, I mean, I don't think up until that point there was as many Decepticons who would hold that status of, like, yep. Decepticons all the way. I do not question Megatron. Shockwave. Well, which shockwave? Oh, the G1 shockwave. The, the shockwave oh. from the from G1, yeah. from cartoon. Oh, yeah. He was kind of unfailingly loyal. But yeah, yes, I agree. Similarly to uh, Bulkhead, he's one of the bigger, bulkier Decepticons and definitely is a heavyweight. I was going to say, he's probably Bulkhead's opposite number, isn't he? Really? Mm. Big, lumbering... Slightly slow, <laughs> both mentally and in a in, and he has a he has a, a bomb for a hand. 
There's one for out there. <laughs> Which doesn't seem like a very clever idea, <laughs> but it seems to work. But yeah, he's he's quite he's pretty powerful. Um, mm-hmm. not. But yes, he is unfailingly loyal. He would you know he would never betray Megatron. Yeah, I think there is some sort of parallel for Dragon Ball Z as well for the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they turn up and just blow up a part of the city, it's very. It comes back to uh, two characters, Vegeta and Nappa, who is very similar, like small and big guy, lumbering idiot, and the smarter one type of yeah. deal. My knowledge of Dragon Ball Z is um, is fleeting at best, but I do seem to remember that. So yeah, I think you yeah, I think you're on the money there. What else is that? A black arachnia as well. Weird one. It's more interesting way of them kind of keeping a similar thing to Beast Wars of her being an Autobot to begin with and having reasons to switch sides on her own instead of being reprogrammed. Like, she felt betrayed that she got left behind and had to join forces with the Decepticons to... I think this is one of the few failings of the show in that they don't set that up very well. You don't think so? No, because she's just there. She's just there on the ship with them, and she's a Decepticon. Mm-hmm. I forgot she was even on the ship in the first episode, because when she turns up later in the season, it's almost mm-hmm. like she's never been a Decepticon. Like She acts like she's not a Decepticon. She never is a Decepticon in the show. She's just out doing her own thing. And when I was writing notes for this, I was like, so obviously the Decepticons on the Decepticon nemesis are Megatron. Blitzwing, Lugnuts, Starscream. That's it. <laughs> and I, I was reading TF Wiki and I saw it said that Black Arachnia was there and I went, they've made a mistake. She wasn't there. <laughs> she was there. Was, but yeah. nobody noticed. I mean, I think they tried to, at least initially, I mean, I, I didn't finish watching all of season two, so mm-hmm. I can't remember when she pops up again, that she really wants to get the all spark to try and change back mm. for some reason as well her her Lita one form had like rogue powers and she could copy things by touching them mm. and something went awry when she did it with all the organic spiders on that alien planet yeah and made her into black arachnia techno organic yeah she wanted to undo it so I can make the leap to think that's why she wanted to be close to this team of Megatrons and get into the Allspark so she could undo it underhandedly. Yeah, I agree, but there's you're, um, you're reading a lot between the lines and I don't think that there was it was explained particularly well in the show. I agree with you, it doesn't, they don't develop it like a lot of the other characters, because when she, I think when she turns up again, for some reason she's made Grimlock fall in love with her and mm. her and Prime are fine for her affection. Well, there might be some reasons for this which we'll get onto later. Oh, okay. But yeah, so there we've got, we've got Megatron left, haven't we, basically? Mm-hmm. I think we've covered everyone else. Well, well Megatron in this series is different um, in a way that he's a lot more calculated and threatening. Especially in season one, he's just a head mm-hmm. locked in a tower. And for someone who was so imposing in that first episode, when he's introduced... And, you know, he's having that big fight with the Autobots and he's just, his foot is bigger than Optimus Prime. He has to come to terms with that he's just ahead and he can't move and can't do anything. And slowly he starts to 
sink his claws into Professor Sundak mm. and get him to do things for him. And they, he comes up with these different schemes in order to test out what a new body would be for him and makes the Dinobots and other human characters get intertwined with their super gimmicks and whatnot. So, like, he's planning out different things. And even that first um, time he starts to become self-aware, he takes over a drone that looks very similar to his drone in these machines. Yeah. And how he almost took them all down just on his own, just like that. So it, it goes to show he's not as idiotic or epic um, Saturday morning cartoon villain as some other Megatrons have been in the past. There is something there about him where he is quite threatening, in especially in the guy's delivery of of his lines. He's very chilled and softly spoken. He's not shouting at his Decepticons. He's just threatening you very subtly. And, you know... <laughs> I think he's more akin to Beast Wars Megatron than he is to G1 Megatron. Yes. Yeah. He's the, the parallel, especially if you're thinking like Beast Machines when he was just in the, uh, yeah. the throne room a lot and was commanding his drones. It's very similar. That's where that first season. Yeah, exactly. So the other characters we have is the Sundax. Mm-hmm. Isaac Sundak, who we covered a little while ago, he's just a—he's a robotics. Well, a guy who ma- who does all kinds of weird experiments, and they often. The first <laughs> season has lots of episodes where it's like today, the experiment that's gone wrong is this, and then the Autobots have to solve some problem caused by something either Sundak has done by accident, or that Megatron has somehow influenced mm. through Sundak to do. He's 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 well meaning, but he makes mistakes. He's like a Tony Stark of uh Yeah. <laughs> the Transformers world. He seems to be very um like a real type of nerd. Like he's not mm. in the spotlight. He doesn't, you know, go around in business suits and pretend to be um some sort of massive entrepreneur. He's in the lab most of the time, tinkering with things. Yeah, he's always <laughs> in his he's always in his in his lab coat and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he's got his daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sari, who is, for all intents and purposes, at least for the first couple of seasons, a little girl. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um... A slightly annoying one, but she's fine. I don't find her nearly as annoying as Bumblebee. She's definitely one of the more mm, helpful and actually proactive human characters in Transformers media. Well, she is given a magic key. Yes, but it's. Even when, like, there are situations where she can't use the key as a crutch to help her with everything, and sometimes she has to figure stuff out on her own. Yes. And I think as, especially as the show goes along, because in that first, yes, in the first season, she was using the key on everything. Mm. Uh, <laughs> this isn't working. She's stick a key in it. This isn't working. <laughs> stick a key in it. Stick a key in it. Stick a key in oh, it. Sound wave is broken. Let me keep, you know. She's <laughs> <laughs> jamming a key in everything. Either creating a problem and then solving it with the key, or solving a problem with the key. If anybody almost dies, she fixes them immediately. Well, it's what makes it... um, It's Like I was saying, like a lot of the characters, it pays off as the show goes along, because, you know, by the end of season two, or beginning of some part of season three, the key factor is removed, and it's no longer a factor that she can do these things anymore. It's the beginning of season three. It's the beginning of season three, yeah. So she 
does something. I mean, I don't know how much you want to spoil, but she doesn't have the key anymore. And... Get on to it. We're just, we're just giving everybody listening fair warning that we will we will reveal this thing that you probably all know anyway. <laughs> Go on. Um, and the, the others have to step up and, you know, they can't rely. It's not a crutch anymore. Ratchet <laughs> actually has to fix people <laughs> um, again. Which he is, he's quite traumatised about. He's like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. Yeah. Um, but you get the feeling that they all kind of have grown um, as the show's gone along. And I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that it started in a place where all of these things are either being misused or characters are, you know, neglecting things or they're taking things for granted. And when the Decepticons come into it and really you know, test them, mm-hmm. you know, they're, off, they're better off for it. Yeah. All the characters do develop over the period of the three seasons, which is really quite good. It's a lot better handled than a lot of other shows. War for Cybertron. Looking at you, War for Cybertron. <laughs> yeah. They learn from their uh, from from what they've done and their mistakes and so on, and they, they move on and things change and... You, you get the backstory of each character slowly filled out in a really kind of pleasing way, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I think that's really good. And, yes, uh, Sari does... She is an important character. She is part of the team. Very much so. Very... Not a... You know, standing on the sidelines. You can do it, Prime! Yeah, no, much, she you know, she wants to get stuck in. She gets stuck in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, even though... Oh, I've got someone. Uh, one of my favourite characters in the show is the police officer, Fanzone. Captain Fanzone? Yeah. I mean, he's not really a major character, but yeah. No, 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 but it's just like it's... Because they're superheroes, mm-hmm. especially at that beginning, that they're where they have to interact with the police who actually should be, you know, hold, upholding the laws or apprehending these people. Mm-hmm. I like how they introduce him as a another element of the humans having to deal with you know, these robots destroying their town every week. Yeah, they do have to, especially in the, in the first season, and probably second as well, but, but, but definitely in the first season, there's a lot of a lot of the idea that these are aliens from outer space and uh, they've got to acclimatise to Earth mm-hmm. and get on with the humans mm-hmm. and understand how their society works. And a lot of people complain about there being too many humans. And it's like, well, no, like, that's the whole bloody point, isn't it? I, I don't like that whole idea, oh, everything should be on Cybertron. It's, well, then it could be about anything, couldn't it? You know, it doesn't have to be Transformers. If it's if everybody's a Transformer, what's special about being a Transformer? I think that's that's why I like um, some of the human characters, is because it's handled really well. It's mm. Sometimes, yes, I would agree with some of those arguments, because sometimes the human characters don't either don't add anything, or they just repeat what the Autobots just said, um, time and time again in the middle of battle. Or again, you know, that's 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 bad writing, isn't it? That's bad. Yeah, uh... that's what that's what I mean. Like it's it's done well here, and it's a, should be, although it hasn't been, should be a good template or inspiration mm. for future Transformers projects that have human characters in it. Let's see how they handle it in Earthspark. In Earthspark, yes. <laughs> oh, fingers crossed, eh? <laughs> Like, where would you rate the the setting of where they are and all of that? Like, what did you think of the setting of a futuristic Detroit with all these robots and uh, 
I think that I think that the Transformers characters felt felt much more integrated into that universe than in many other shows. Mm. They were part of they were part of the community on Earth. Mm. So many shows, the Transformers are just off doing their own thing. <laughs> yes, and then they go and then they go and have a fight in an unpopulated area, <laughs> and the humans are almost oblivious to them being about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Armada. I'm, looking at, <laughs> yes. I'm even looking at G1, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that kind of like, oh, this is all going off, and no one seems to be paying any attention. <laughs> Whereas, yes, definitely in this, they lived in Detroit, and they were known, and they were like known by the populace, mm-hmm. and seen about, and interacted with them much more. So, yeah, I thought it was good. And there was a there was a clear distinction that the Autobots were the good guys and the Decepticons were the bad ones. There was none of that weird underlining sometimes they do where the Decepticons can pretend that they're good and humans will just believe them because reasons. Well, <laughs> Megatron did. I mean, yeah, but only under certain circumstances. I mean, like, not everyone else in the t- When Starscream turned up and started, you know, shooting everyone. Well, yeah. People, they didn't forget. Because <laughs> Starscream and, and the Decepticons in general just considered the human beings as pointless, as as horrible little flesh bags that they need to uh, interact with, you know? Mm-hmm. Only Megatron was the one who kind of used them to his advantage, yeah. both by pretending to be an Autobot at first and getting his body rebuilt and <laughs> and then kind of using Sundak and, you know what I mean? Like, he he saw a, a use for them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, generally, the, the Decepticons just turn up and blew shit up. <laughs> You know, and the Autobots were like, we must protect life. Yeah. And that's definitely something that calls back to G1, but it's actually handled better than in G1. Because in G1, it was, you know, yes, obviously, Optimus Prime would be like, oh, freedom is the right of all sentient <laughs> beings, and we must protect this world from the Decepticons. But they didn't do an awful lot of that. <laughs> they did all talk. <laughs> So yeah, it was. I think it's more integrated. So yeah, I did. I thought that was good. That was that was it. It's just I, just, I really liked the um, the setting, and I think it was you know a good choice because like you said, sometimes they're out in the middle of nowhere in the canyon somewhere, or you know, yeah, in the desert. <laughs> I mean, we mentioned it in our um, in our Armada episode that, that basically everything happens in an unpopulated area, <laughs> and. Uh, the the human world seems quite oblivious to the fact that these Transformers are on the planet because there was no real interaction with Earthlings. And I, I kind of liked it as well because they kind of just dropped the whole disguise thing as well. Like, it wasn't as hammed up as it is in other shows like um, car robots where they really try not to be discovered and keep in car modes in certain situations. Like, it's not, yeah. it's not necessary. I mean... Well, I mean, it is, it is, and it isn't. But in this, in this particular setting, it isn't because robots are commonplace. Yeah, yeah. But like, I'm, I'm a big fan of the robots in disguise premise. The idea that you, that the reason you trans, well, not the reason you transform, but the reason you choose a, an alt mode is to blend in. But yeah, it didn't, it didn't really apply in this series. The same as it didn't really apply in Beast Wars. The same as it didn't really apply in other areas because the setting's different. Mm. You know. But where where it where it is that where it is the case, that's where you know, yeah, it makes sense. But it didn't in this one because people are used to seeing robots. In fact I think in the first episode they said what you were talking about before with that, the whole Optimus Arts Teletron one to scan the local life forms. 
for them mm. to get modes, and obviously it scans the cars, thinking that they're the local life forms, not the human. Yeah, but I mean that's that was in G one, that was in everything. Like that's it's understandable that machines, machine life coming to Earth would assume that the other machines are yeah, yeah. <laughs> the local life forms. But yeah, that that quickly goes out the window. But it's 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 fine though because they use their alt modes for other reasons, you know, transportation and so on and so forth. Um, and because they are emergency vehicles, you know, they Optimus Prime puts out fires, um, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, no, I I I think it was I think it's a good setting. So now we've kind of gone over what happens in the the kind of first season. Should we just talk broadly about how we feel about season two, season three? Uh, well, season two, they really start to expand on uh, the characters on the Cybertron and what's going on elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And you get a that real, like, uh, <laughs> it almost kind of reminded me of um, Lost, uh, the TV show. You know, when they would just have that, what? have an episode and have um, flashbacks to what happened on Okay. Before they were on the island. <laughs> I suppose. <Yeah. laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a weird comparison, but yeah, um, I guess. But that stuff that's, that stuff does happen in season one as well. It does, but it's very like subtle. Like when well, it's, it's not Sentinel Prime easy. and Ultra Magnus comes to Earth, mm. I'm pretty sure it's Bumblebee or Bob Pitt. One, one says it to the other, that oh, Sentinel Prime doesn't remember them. And, you know, like, there's just little things like that where they, like, these characters have obviously met before, mm-hmm. and you don't really get to find that out until, like, the Wasp episode and why there was the big hoo-ha of this double agent on Cybertron and... Yeah, that plot element gets introduced in season two, I think, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's, like, stuff like that, they start to expand on the characters and their their history. Yeah. Which was nice. No, you're right. Like I said, that does happen in season one, but it happens more in season two. Yeah. Because like, in season one, you have a flashback to um, Elita one. Mm-hmm. So you, I think you do see Sentinel in season one, but in a flashback. Oh, yeah, you, you see him in the flashback, but you don't yeah. get to know how much of uh, Dick Sentinel yeah. Prime is. You get, you get a slight taste of it, but it's not as much like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, but... That's what I was talking about before. It slowly builds, doesn't it? The whole thing really nicely ramps up mm. yeah. slowly. Like the first season is more like ground level, and you know you've got you've got them fighting super villains <laughs> and experiments gone wrong, mm. and kind of like what you might late might consider later to be kind of small fry stuff, mm-hmm. and then. As you move into season two, it starts to ramp up, and then in season three, almost kind of moves into kind of a, a big bloody war, as it were. But that's in the second season. Yeah, you definitely get more of it. I would say there's definitely um, the show has really good season finales. I would say like it really get that at the end of yeah. the season that this is getting serious and it's you know the pacing is exceptional. Mm. Yeah, like, very yeah. very good. So season two, what's the what's the finale of season two? Oh, uh, the big fight with the space bridge and Omega Supreme being revealed. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. Really good. I mean, I mean, I even love that whole callback to him being stuck in the mountain 
not the angle very mm-hmm. wrong in season two. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and like I was saying about the pacing, you get some flashbacks in season one where you get the story behind, or part of the story behind Ratchet, Arcee, and at the time, an undisclosed secret project yes. that's going yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then, yeah, season two, Ratchet reveals that the Ark, or whatever it is, whatever they're called. I don't think it's called the Ark, is it? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It is, uh, yeah. You sure? Yeah. <laughs> it might be retroactively called the Ark. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's called the Ark. <laughs> yeah? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do one of those things where I look it up. I think it might be like people go, oh, now we're calling it the Ark. Uh, but you might be right. Anyway, it is Omega Supreme. I think they even hint, they hint it in the, in the first episode, because he, when they're under attack by the Decepticon ship, Optimus Prime tries to initiate, initiate the security protocol Omega, and it gets rejected. Yeah, it does, yeah. I just think calling the ship the Ark, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> in Generation 1, it made sense it was called the Ark. But in this, it doesn't really, if you know what I mean. I don't know. I mean, it does have Teletrain 1 on it. Uh, I know that for a fact. The biblical theme is not there, you know? <laughs> it's just it's just a ship that um, a, a maintenance crew are flying around in. Yeah? <laughs> You've got to look it up, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I am, yeah. Teletrain 1, it does have Teletrain 1 as well. It has mm-hmm. a um, a voiced artificial intelligence that they address it has as the Teletron. Sci-fi and everything. They call it Teletron One, don't they? But I don't know if it is the Ark, but you might be right. I'm I'm looking it up now. Uh, <laughs> Ark. Um. No, no. Right. Oh, right, here we go. Um, at BotCon 2007, Hasbro representatives repeatedly named the Autobot ship The Ark. At BotCon mm-hmm. 2008, lead writer Marty Eisenberg claimed the ship is not The Ark, but merely mm-hmm. a repair vessel. However, lead artist Derek J. Wyatt immediately responded that it very much is The Ark, um, a conversation that some some fine science failed to report accurately. The model sheet for the ship even labels it The Ark. However, no fictional depiction, depictions ever refer to the ship as The Ark. And it is eventually re- revealed to be Omega Supreme. So, no, it's not called the Ark. What? <laughs> so, on paper, it's the Ark, but it's not said in the show? Is that what you're saying? They never call it the Ark in the show. Mm, okay. <laughs> they don't. Unless TF Wiki's lying, it says no fictional depictions ever refer to the ship as the Ark. Listeners, when you're, when you're listening to this, we will... Definitely have a solid answer for this because Orion Gear would have done. I've done it. I've done the research. I've done it. It's here. (laughs) As far as canon goes, it wasn't the Ark. (laughs) I think we've established the facts already, but just to satisfy Dave's incredulity, Orion, of course, did a little more research into this. The Autobot ship in animated, although strongly resembling the Ark from G1 in design, is never referred to as the Ark in any fiction. Never. Not ever. However, as stated during development, it was referred to as such by Hasbro and the creative team. Later, the Transformers animated Allspark Almanac Volume 2, published by IDW, 
and written by Jim Sorison and Bill Forster, gave the ship the codename Orion. But yeah, there you go. So yeah, we get that, and then we go into season three. So in season three, they're aware that there's a spy. Mm. Well, they, they knew about the spy, but they didn't know who the spy was. Well, they don't know until pretty much the end of season three, really. Mm. Oh, and you get the introduction of... Is it season two or season one where we get the introduction of Blur? Season two, yeah. Yeah, and it, for a while he's just this car. Yeah, he's a... He's, he's a uh, what do you call him? And the, the Blue Racer or something. I don't know, something like that. <laughs> he's there to just check up on them. He's there to... He's an intelligence officer. That's what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. he's... Uh, yeah, that's exactly what he is. Yeah, he's, he's, he's doing recon. Mm. But he is basically looking into the whole kind of double agent thing as well. Mm. Which um, was really good, actually. I, I, I usually have no time for Blur, but I liked, <laughs> I liked this version of Blur. I think he's... Um... One of the few other times, apart from G1, where he's also super fast and speedy and actually is up to the name Blur. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's popped up in other shows since, but he's not been super fast. He's voiced by the <laughs> same guy from G1, so... I mean, I didn't know that until you brought it up earlier. I was like, oh. <laughs> no, I thought he was quite good. And uh, uh, spoiler alert, what happens to him is really quite... I felt for him. You know? Yeah, it's it's horrific. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's the end of season two where we discover uh, Sari's not human. Yes. Yeah. She is a kind of weird techno-organic creature. Well, it's hinted that in the the end of season one, when her dad gets taken away by Megatron, Mm -hmm. in the first season of season two, she has to take over his company. And her his board of director man, yeah. actual businessy suit, Tony Stark man, yeah. is going to take over the company because she has no legal papers. She has no documentation to prove she's per person. She wasn't born. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that whole whole second season, she's looking for a dad and trying to prove that who she is. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, this was this the big plot twist, the big reveal. And we find out that Sundak found like a a protoform, a human-sized protoform. He's very he's very <laughs> lucky, like chancing across all of this cybertroning, uh, cybertronic um, technology. This is the second time. UFOs only land in America, so he's, he's bound. <laughs> bound yeah. So it turns out she's sort of a transformer mm-hmm. in a way. So yeah, that we get that, and then season three. Uh, which also, see- sorry, which also explains her connection to the key and the whole spark, like why yeah. he had a connection with her. Yes, it does, yeah, it does. It all kind of ties up nicely in a way. And mm. uh, in season three, she upgrades herself mm-hmm. using the key and she becomes t- more like a teenager. And, mm-hmm. um, and she has, does he, doesn't he build her like a, a little transforming scooter thing or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, uh, Run? Does mm. he have a scooter? It's something like that, yeah. And then it, it turns into kind of a a, um, a fly, flying pack. Mm. And then she kind of becomes more more part of the team in a way, in that way, because uh, she could be more more involved. Mm. And then season three is mostly about figuring out who the double agent is. And, well, it'll, yeah, Megatron ends up kind of stuck on a Mega Supreme 
warping about space randomly. Yeah, he gets, uh, at the end of season two, him and Starscream's head mm. <laughs> get thrown into deep space with Omega Supreme. And it's just, it's just them, like, as, you know, like a married couple jumping <laughs> through space, arguing all the time. <laughs> yeah. And him trying to kill him all the time, and it doesn't work because he's got the all spark. Yeah, because, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, because the, the, cul- the culmination of season two is trying to build. Megatron wants to build a space bridge. It turns out that, of all people, <laughs> Bulkhead is the premier um, authority on space bridge construction. So he kind of blackmails him into helping or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, and then somehow. I don't, there's a bit, there's a bit of the space bridge that Bumblebee kind of you ends up get, he ends up warping about, and it ends up on Omega Supreme, and Omega Supreme's kind of shit about. But the long and the short of it is, over the sea, over season three, Megatron eventually gets control of the warping and also control of Omega Supreme. Mm-hmm. Is that season three? That is season three, isn't it? It is season three, and he like sympathizes, sympathizes like clones, uses yeah. Starscream's cloning technology, which he made clones of himself. Yeah, that's quite which... important, actually, to mention that Starscream, very early on in season <laughs> one, becomes indestructible. Yeah, he becomes... Because uh, when Megatron... Oh, season um, two, isn't it? Because it's the, it's, it's the Allspark fragments, because the Allspark fragments... Um, the Allspark gets destroyed at the end of the first season. Yeah, so season end of season one... We're jumping about a lot here, listeners. Sorry, <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure you could follow. When Megatron comes back mm. and gets his body back, he he knows that Starscream was the one who betrayed him. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't waste any time in taking him out. Yeah. But in doing so, he kind of does something. The key does something to Starscream to allow him to get a piece of the Allspark. So why he he comes back? Well, he gets a bit of Allspark lodged in his forehead, doesn't he? Pretty much. He, he does, yeah. And it keeps him coming back. So even though he keeps mm. getting taken out by Megatron, uh, brutally sometimes. <laughs> yeah. He, he can't <laughs> he die. Back. Which is a nice, in a way, it's a kind of, that's a kind of call back to Starscream's ghost, isn't it? And the fact yeah. that Starscream, I mean, and in Beast Wars, they, 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 they elaborated further on that saying that Starscream had a, basically an unextinguishable spark. Mm-hmm. It allowed him to take over, possess other beings and do all sorts of things. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, like Waspinator. So yeah, they're kind of they're kind of doing a new take on that, which is quite cool. I like that he made all the other seekers as well from all these clones. Yeah, and they all were like different parts of his personality, <laughs> and introduced Slipstream as well because that, that character sticks around and I think is in uh, Cyberverse or something like she pops up in another show. But, um... Yeah, I like the way I like the way they allude to because they're saying these are different parts of your personality. You've got like a one that lies all the time, and one that's and one that's really sycophantic, mm. and uh, and then he says kind of slipstream like what part of my what, what part of my personality are you? And it's like, well, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> so like yeah, like like there's a whole kind of feminine side to uh, mm. Starscream. I quite like that. It's good. It's um it's a good way of doing it because like, even as the show progresses, I think. At some point in season three, where all the Decepticons are on some sort of ship or something, and there was Swindle, and he has his dimension pocket in his chest, and he gives the other Seekers, like, 
the cone heads and uh... mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it does yeah you can kind of upgrade them and it, but it, but it become a bit different don't they yeah but yeah I mean and so the the culmination of of season three is Megatron having like three Omega Supremes <laughs> cloned mm-hmm. Mega Supremes and uh, run by Lugnuts Mm-hmm. So they're completely devoted. <laughs> yep, yep. Not Starscream, uh, thankfully. Although Starscream did have control of Omega Supreme for a little bit, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happens at the end of season three? <laughs> uh, big fight. <laughs> um, it, I can't remember how Prime gets it, but I'm guessing it's something to do with similar to what Sari had. Like he gets a jetpack as well, mm-hmm. and he can fly. And I think Ratchet builds it. Does he? I, I think so. And at some point he gets the Magnus Hammer as well, like, because some point in season three, Magnus gets, they try to assassinate Magnus and someone gets the hammer and it ends up on Earth somehow. Yeah, well, Mag- yeah, Magnus is, is, is on his deathbed for quite a bit, isn't he? And he, like, this Magnus Hammer is basically like Stormbringer or Mjolnir, like it can control the heavens and bring down lightning. Yeah. It's pretty powerful, yeah. And so, yeah, he's primed flying around building this, battling these giant Mega Supreme clones, and all the other Autobots try and get the Allspark fragments to blow them up, or... Both Dave and Orion's recollection is a bit vague here. The other Autobots are separated into two groups. Ratchet, Bulkhead and Sari are on the moon dealing with Omega Supreme, who is being used to remotely control his clones and Prowl and Jazz are on the ground on Earth, initially trying to assist Prime in fighting the clones, but soon realise they can't penetrate their armour. Prime then comments that the Allspark is the only thing powerful enough to shield the city, and Prowl theorises that processor over matter can be used to reconstitute the shattered Allspark, which is what he and Jazz then go about doing. And then Prowl sacrifices himself. Yes, him and Jazz, both ninja... What are they called? Ninja... Cyber ninjas or something like that? Cyber ninjas, yeah. Using some sort of technique to Mm -hmm. um, save the day. Processor over matter. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And he ends up dying, but to save everybody. Mm -hmm. And Megatron is is finally defeated by Optimus Prime? No, well... Yes, he is defeated by Optimus Prime, but he's he's done in a way where... Megatron's plan fails mm-hmm. and then Megatron and Prime are left behind and they're just like, that's the moment I really love when Megatron actually calls Optimus Prime by his name. Because for the entire season he's just calling him Autobot. <laughs> yeah, I know I, I know you mentioned that before. I didn't find that nearly as poignant as you do. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, he does, I guess. <laughs> you, you are right. I mean, Megatron spends the entire first two seasons, well, all the, the, all the way up to the very end, he sees Optimus Prime as a annoyance, a thorn in his side. At first, he just considers him kind of insignificant. Mm-hmm. It isn't until that very last episode of season three that he actually addresses him by his own name and considers him more of a, a problem and, and, and possibly somebody on a similar level to him. Because mm-hmm. even on the Autobot side, Prime is put down as just... Um... It's often I can say it's not in his programming to be a hero. Yeah. Like, and then you've got Sentinel, who's Sentinel. Uh. Yeah, an <laughs> A coward, and uh, yeah, it's not 
not a very good guy, really. I mean, he's he's not evil, but he's a bit of a knob. Yeah, yeah, he's... I mean, he's almost like a, a Starscream um, on the Autobot side. Like, he's very... I guess. I don't think he's quite... I don't think he's quite as kind of underhand, but he's too thick. Yeah. He's too thick yeah. to be uh, that underhand. Yeah. He doesn't want the burden of leadership, but he likes the glory mm-hmm. of being the centre of attention. But yeah, it, it was just nice that you got the feeling that there was some sort of validation for the entire team mm-hmm. that they were able to, you know, save the day. Yeah, it's a fitting end to the to the series, even though there we'll get onto in a minute. There was more planned, but like, yeah, it, it, it does. T- it ties up most things quite well. There's a few loose loose ends, but generally, you have the arc of Prime ascending to being a hero, as it were, mm-hmm. and Megatron eventually recognizing that. Mm-hmm. So, what were your favourite characters from the show? All right, um, I think on the bad guy side, I think I would still. It's, it's a, it's a toss-up between Starscream and mm-hmm. Megatron, but I think I lean more to Starscream because of all the shenanigans that happened to him throughout the show. Like I mentioned it before, like I think Starscream is like G1 Starscream, but like times 10, and it fits in this over-exaggerated world, and I would have to read it, the scripts. Like, it's just certain lines he delivers, like um, when he the meets up with Blitzwinging um, Lugnuts, and he's, they say that they've been speaking to Megatron, and he's like, Megatron's been destroyed. I killed him. I mean, I <laughs> saw him <laughs> die myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's like little moments like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like Starscream. He is played for laughs a bit too much, but he is good. Yeah, he is good. Um, and then on the Autobot side, I think I really like how they handled... Prime and Ratchet mm-hmm. in particular. Like, Ratchet is, um, I mean, it's kind of cemented him as being an old grumpy, yep. old wartimer um, character. It's kind of like a merged with Cup yes. kind of way. Like, he's just always seen as an older character now. It's, um, it's a good development of that character and Prime as well because I like kind of origin stories of characters. So I like this mm-hmm. interpretation of a younger Prime yeah. who isn't the best. Or whatever yet. He's not, um, you know, Supreme Commander. He's very much kind of like a Smallville Optimus Prime. Like his early Oh, years... that's why I don't like it. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't, I don't not like it, but I don't like Smallville. Smallville is one of the worst things that's ever happened ever. As an, as an example, you get what I mean. Yes. He's, he's not Prime super, you know, unstoppable force yet. And I like that. I, I like characters that are very flawed. And have to deal, you know, the underdog. Yeah, no, they, they do do that. Like, like I mentioned earlier, I think it's, I, I think it's really good. It is like a kind of light version of Optimus Prime or from Beast Wars, but I do, I do like it. Uh, my, uh, go on. As I say, I, well, I would say my, probably my favorite character though is on the other side, um, apart from Prime, is Jazz. I really like that. Jazz. He doesn't he's, really do anything. He's not. Um, but... He's, yeah, he's not in it a lot, but from when he is he's in it, okay. um, I like the way he he had that connection with Prowl with the whole ninja stuff, hmm. but I also liked his 
his interest and his intrigue in human and organics and how he was, you know, had to calm down Sentinel. And I like that he didn't take Sentinel too seriously. Yeah, yeah. He was handled. He was a character that was handled well, like one of these pop up characters that they had. I think it was done. I mean, it was handled a lot better than he was in the movie. Like it was. Uh... <laughs> I mean, oh wow, faint praise. <laughs> well, no, no, but I mean, almost zero characters in the movies were handled well anyway. And yeah, Jazz was unceremoniously murdered in the first movie. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It, it was nice because, like we've been saying, a lot of these characters are from G one, mm-hmm. and these are completely new interpretations of them. And I think. This was a good one for him. Yeah? Uh, yeah. What was your favourite characters? Well, my favourite characters were Prowl mm-hmm. and Ratchet. Both characters are similar in that they both had a really interesting character arc that went right through from the first episode all the way through to the end. But for Prowl, like... Because, well, I rewatched all of it for uh, mm-hmm. for this. And... Um, I remember seeing in the first episodes thinking, why is Prowl with these guys? <laughs> like everyone else is clearly make it makes sense that they're on the team. Prowl, it doesn't make sense. It's like, well, why is he even here? Mm-hmm. And that is eventually explained. They chanced across him. He happened to be out there on a kind of soul quest because he'd he, <laughs> you know he'd he'd fucked up quite quite abysmally. Yes. <laughs> so. He was out there trying to like find himself and kind of a sort, you know, master processor over matter and all that kind of stuff. They they accidentally destroyed his ship, so he had to kind of join them. <laughs> and yeah, but like he his whole backstory was kept really kind of on the down low for the entire three seasons until right at the end, where he all suddenly gets revealed, and then he sacrifices himself, and it's really kind of poignant. Mm-hmm. So he's a really good character, and I really liked it. I liked the way that that was nicely fleshed out. And the same is also true of Ratchet. That whole um, storyline, his backstory of being in the war and the the creation of um, Omega Supreme and the sacrifice that RC had to to make, that was really great. And you had some really kind of um, dark stuff there with, like, post-traumatic stress and lockdown, his relationship with lockdown and all that kind of stuff was really, really good. So I, I, and I thought, and like you say, the character of Ratchet, that characterization of Ratchet has followed through into things like Prime, IEW, you know, mm. that has become the new standard. I mean, you could possibly say that some of that was in the Marvel comics, but not not quite realised the same way. Yeah, no, it's, it's really... It's re- like you're saying, that stuff with lockdown, it really sh- it shows a darker side to the war mm. um, that, you know, in a kid's show, it might go to kids' heads and stuff, but for an adult viewer, you can really say, like, yeah. oh, wow, some dark stuff was going on. Um, yeah. And lock- Lockdown is another character I really like because he's a bounty hunter. He's not really on anyone's side. Mm-hmm. He's in it for himself. He's big on modifications and upgrades, and that becomes a kind of thing as well. And I, mm. I like that whole kind of side to it. I thought that was good. I love the fact that he had a um, a rub sign, not a uh, not a symbol. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because he's on neither side really. <laughs> but yeah, so that they're they're my favourites. They're so well realised. Those two characters. I mean, most of the characters 
um, excluding uh, the worst character, <laughs> have that going on. You know, that kind of like storyline that gets properly fleshed out. And by the end of it, you you know what their purpose was and why they were there and what, you know, what they'd gone through. Mm-hmm. So, least favourite character. Have you got a least favourite character or characters? Uh, not really. I mean, I didn't... I, I remember when I first watched it, I didn't really like the Constructicons. Um, and I thought they were a bit... I mean, it was just weird having two of them. Maybe that's what it was. I just, it was well, three, three if you include Dirt Boss. Oh, of course, yes, yeah, the little guy. Yeah, I think they were the ones that probably I needed a bit more from, like in terms of them growing as characters, because they kind of. I think Scrapper was the only one who kind of did, and that was because he teamed up with the others in that one episode. Yeah, uh, and probably Soundwave as well. I think Soundwave was underused. I mean, when he was when he was there. There are a few characters that were underused. I mean, the Dinobots were a bit underused. Yeah, I mean, well, yes, but I think that the Dinobots were, well, I mean, later on, they, but the beginning, they were on an island for most of the time. But yeah, when they came over and they were, they would pop up randomly. It, yeah, it was yeah, just like, was, oh, we need some muscle. Let's get the Dinobots in. And, yeah. uh, and then, and then they'd forget about them for another <laughs> six episodes. <laughs> maybe, it was, maybe it was an odd to do one. <laughs> but, well, it, it was. But I didn't dislike the Constructicons. I just thought that they... Well, I just... I, that's, what, that's what I mean. I don't, I don't think I really disliked anyone. It's just like, I think, mm. if anyone I would have wanted a bit more from, maybe it would have been them on the Decepticon side and for the Autobots, I think. I liked the whole introduction of Jetstorm and Jetfire. Yeah, those two, yeah. Yeah. They're okay. They're a little, they were, again, they're quite one note, weren't they? Yeah, so I mean, like, I think it's probably the one that was probably the weakest um, on the Autobot side. Like, uh, they were fine. Yeah, they were I like the whole idea of they were flying Autobots, and that was a big thing. Mm. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what my least favorite character is, Bumblebee, because just a tiresome stereotype that they <laughs> they use way too often in Transformers, and and this is one of the worst versions. Like, it's just yeah, I don't know. He's You'd expect him to go on a journey, and he doesn't. For the entire three seasons, he's just an idiot. Yeah, they don't... That's probably the thing. It's probably, it doesn't develop. I mean, even Armada Hotshot is, becomes leader at the end yeah. by some peculiar reason. Uh, it's not surprising that he was originally meant to be Hotshot, because he's just as annoying. <laughs> I suppose so, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, I would probably like the character if he had gone on a bit more of a journey, but he didn't. I mean, and, and you know, okay, there was a season four planned and maybe we would have seen more of that. But as it stands throughout the whole three seasons, he he's, he doesn't, he's essentially exactly the same as he was in season, in the first episode of season one at the last episode of season three. Uh, the, I know what you mean. I, don't, I think the, the character... There are some changes and there's some revelations onto who he is and why, you know, why he was on the team and everything. But I get what you mean. Character, like, just day to day, he's still annoying. Mm. Like, if you were, <laughs> yeah, if you were in the Autobot base with him, he'd be cracking jokes and wanting to play video games or something. Yeah, and like, I, and, <laughs> and I, I get that that's a, that's a character type that they like to put into these things and I'm fine with that. But I just would have liked to see, yeah, something happened. 
with him, which he didn't really. I mean, yeah, you you had some stuff with the uh, you know the wasp character and what what he did in elite guard training, but nothing mm. really seemed to affect him much. <laughs> you know, he's still pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, Sari, I liked Sari, but um, I mean, really, the main the main problem with Sari is that her storyline was cut short. Yeah. They were never able to fully explain what she was. I think it was uh, one of the whole things about season three, like she gets the upgrade mm. and she's not around as much, but I think that was, I mean, um, they were talking more about like uh, her and her dad were having more time together because he wasn't being involved in the Robotnik, the company in season three. The two of them were trying to patch up and... Yeah you know, be father and daughter. Mm-hmm. So he was, she wasn't as prominent as in the other two seasons. But when she did turn up, uh, it was good. Yeah, you, do, you just you just feel like there should have been there should have been more of a payoff to her character, which she didn't yeah. get. Yeah. But again, that is possibly due to the cancellation cancellation of the of the season series more than anything else. I think so. But yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I don't really dislike any of the characters massively. I mean, I, I, I rag on Bumblebee, but he's there's definitely worse characters in Transformers history than Bumblebee in this season, <laughs> in this series. <laughs> Favourite episodes? Do you have any? Uh, I don't know what the episode is called. But I really love the episode where Soundwave has put them all into a coma and made them think they're humans. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know what that is, uh, what that episode that is, but yeah, that's all right. That's quite good. The episodes in question are Human Error Part One and Two, which are episodes eight and nine of season three, a Christmas special that aired in April two thousand and nine. Yeah, that's right, April two thousand and nine Christmas special. It did indeed involve Soundwave placing the Autobots in a coma and running a VR program where they are humans in a bizarre plan to reformat them into Decepticons. It's a nice little callback to that G1 episode where they will get human bodies yeah. in those weird jumpsuits. <laughs> but it does throw up a few interesting questions. Yeah, go on. Right. Well, how old is Bumblebee? <laughs> is he like a five-year-old child? Uh, I guess he's really young. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why is he why why is he working on a uh, on a space biz repair team? Shouldn't he be at school? Um, I mean, age is always something complicated <laughs> when it comes to transformers. It's just it's just no no. It's a good episode though. I do like it. Um, like I said before, I really love the season finales. Like there are yeah. good cliffhangers, and it's a good build up of all the the problems that's been happening in the season. Yeah, I I have the opposite opinion, but I'll explain that in a bit. Okay, uh, I don't think of what, there was another one, I think it's a season two episode where the headmaster guy comes back, um, and he takes Sentinel Prime's head, I mean, body. Unsurprisingly, the one where the headmaster guy comes back is called The Return of Headmaster, and is episode two of season two. Orion doesn't spring these questions on Dave. He has plenty of time to do his research, but he seems to spend most of it watching YouTube videos instead. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's that's quite fun. I mean, I don't like the character of of Henry Masterson at all. 
No, no, no. But, but yeah, it's quite a good episode, yes. It's a funny episode, and I like, you know, Sentinel getting his comeuppance, kind of. <laughs> yes, it is, a, it is a good comedy episode, and yeah, yeah I do like that. I, I, I will agree with you on that. Yeah, I don't really like Henry Masterson and all his kind of leet gamer speak and stuff. I find that really irritating. But yes, it is a good episode. I do agree with you. Yeah, so you said you really liked the season finales. I found the season finales just a little bit rushed and well, just just like anything. My least favourite bit of any Marvel movie is the last 25 minutes. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, we're all just going to have a big fight now. Yes. <laughs> That's where I switch off. Okay. It, so it's a bit like that. It just feels like it all kind of ramp, especially because the season finale is usually like a one part episode, one episode, isn't it? No, it's, only, it's only two parts. Oh, like two parts. But yeah. yeah, the season finale, they're okay. But I think the season openers are the better ones. The three part season openers are much better, in my opinion. And one of my favorites is Transwarped, which is the season three opener. Oh, when, yeah, when Megatron and Starscream are. That yeah. is excellent. Far and away one of my favourites because it's got a darker tone than mm. season one and two. You get to see more of like an expanded universe. We see a load of homage characters with some cool designs like Cyclonus and Spittor and Blackout and Striker mm. and Rodimus mm. looks cool as fuck. <laughs> he does. I love Rodimus. Hotshot and Red Alert make an appearance. They do. Which is nice, because, you know, they, they were originally designed for the first season, and then they got replaced by Ratchet and um, and Bumblebee. And the blur stuff in that. That was so... Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah. So so we, we mentioned it earlier, but, like, that stuff where he runs into space and he's running around, like, the rings of Saturn, mm. and then the stuff with him and um, Longarm Prime, who, spoilers, guys, Longarm Prime is Shockwave. <laughs> He's actually a baddie. <laughs> Which was so cool that the toy could do that as well. They had yeah, like, the full mold. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, the toy could convert between both versions, couldn't it? <laughs> but yeah, so when he realizes that Longarm is the uh, is the traitor, he um, runs away, and Shockwave is like, "Well, I can't catch you, but I can stop you," mm. and he just crushes him yeah. into a tiny little. <laughs> cube and then mm -hmm. gives him to cliff jumper to throw away <laughs> dispose of this sensitive uh, material agent cliff jumper please dispose of this sensitive material yes sir long arm prime sir it was crazy yeah <laughs> so that's that stuff's brilliant it's just a, a really good and apparently it was it was made as a 70 minute movie all right. It was, I think it was shown like that on at one point, but it was also cut into three episodes for uh, other places. So it was, but no, I think that's brilliant. That one, definitely one of my favourites. And Bumblebee dies, which is a plus. <laughs> Unfortunately, he gets better, but it's okay because it's in it's in service of Ratchet's story, so that's fine. You see, I think I probably would agree with you, but in the lead up to this, I didn't get to season three. I watched the ending of season right. three. But I didn't watch all season three, so I probably would agree with you if I got to rewatch it again. Watch it. it <laughs> it's uh, honestly, and the only the other one, the other one I would say is Thrill of the Hunt, which is a season one episode. Is that when lockdown comes in? Yep, and yeah. it's where you first get you get the your fir very first hints that this is not just a kids' TV show. That there is a deeper, darker storyline going underneath, beneath all the superheroic nonsense. 
Mm-hmm. It has, like we said before, like adult themes of Ratchet's um, post-war um, stress and, you know, um, and how he's been traumatized by what happened to him in the war, both in regard to the Omega Supreme Project or the Mega Project, although they don't, I don't think they ever mention it as the Omega Project in that episode, but it comes up later. Mm-hmm. But you you have that flashback with him being sent to find R.C., and having to repair her and then escape from Lockdown, who's trying to capture her because she is Princess Leia from Star Wars and <laughs> she has the secret plans in her head. <laughs> yeah, never has she been more like Princess Leia from Star Wars than in this one because you know, mm-hmm. they took it one step further than they did in the original Transformers movie. <laughs> she has secret Death Star plans in her head. Well, that secret Death Star being Omega Supreme. Mm-hmm. And Lockdown is a great character. Like I said before, he's kind of a homage to uh, Death's Head from the Marvel comics. I like his cool, sudden voice as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, he's he's just a really good character, and he's got a cool. <laughs> he's got a cool alt mode as well. Like, he's yeah. just, he's just good. Doesn't he turn into like basically the same car that Ghost Rider drives in this new Hasbro project? <laughs> mm, sort of. It's a muscle car. <laughs> a muscle car. I mean, it's similar. <laughs> it's one of those ones with the engine poking out the body yes mm-hmm. but you know, there are lots of those <laughs> and uh yeah and we and, and yeah we get the whole beginning of the ratchet rc omega supreme story arc in that episode which i really like um so it's that's that's definitely up there uh, with my, some of my favorites um do you have a least favorite uh well probably some of the stuff with the human characters Season mm. one, yeah, it was not. No, it weren't all bad, but some of the characters, like, I think, like Professor Princess and mm. um, yeah, like, that's like, definitely that, on my that's definitely on my list of one of the lamer episodes. Wasn't they called that? Like they all they all joined up to make like some sort of league of bad guys at some point. Um yeah. under was it Swindle who was helping them or something? That got revealed that yeah, that's right. It's basically yeah the. Uh, an, an evil supergroup. <laughs> what was it? Aaron Archer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Angry Archer, but he's named after Aaron Archer, I believe. <laughs> and and you've got um, Nanosec and um, is Meltdown involved? I don't know if he is actually. I don't think he is. No, I don't think he is. No, but it's it's those lot, isn't it? And you've got that that woman with the clock that's got a oh, yeah, yeah. a a piece of um, all spark fragment in it, which <laughs> means she can freeze time. Yeah. yeah, that's a bit iffy. Yeah, I mean, it's not. I mean, I, I don't mind it. I mean, no, I'm it's happy, fine. I'll probably watch the episode. As far as like a kids, a kid orientated episode, it's perfect. Mm. Yeah, yeah. My least favorite is probably the first. Ep- I think it's called Nanosec. The first episode with with Nanosec in. Mm. Yeah. Um, not only is Nanosec a bit of a lame character, mm. it cements to me why Bumblebee is a prick. Why? Because he just basically deliberately shortens a guy's life. Oh yeah, yeah. and it's like that's that's not that's not very nice of you. It's not very heroic, is it? That's true. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, like you were saying, I think that some of the some of the super villainy ones are some of the weak, weaker ones. Not all of them, like you mentioned mm. before, meltdown. That's that was good, and mm. there, there there are some that are okay. And, and yeah, even the even though I said I don't like Henry Masterson, the ma- the headmaster thing works well. And that episode you're talking about with um with Sentinel yeah. Prime was great. <laughs> so like, there are some of them work better than others, don't they? And I, yeah. I think Nanosec is one of those ones. It's like 
Yeah, I mean, what well, he can run fast, uh, and uh, and Megatron helped him do that to, uh, for some reason. It's not really. That's why I talked about um, Iron Man earlier. Like some of the, the villains are obviously just guys who've got some deck pack technology, mm. or you know, Megatron or Swindon will help them get some sort of tech, and it just felt very like. Uh, <laughs> That's that's the that's the more Saturday morning villain side of it. Those guys, you know. Exactly, exactly. That's what I mean. You, you can't be, you can't really be too angry at them because it's no, really, no, no, no. It's what they're it's... trying to do, isn't it? But at the same time, it's like, hmm, yeah, not my, <laughs> not my favorite. <laughs> Overall, uh, what do you think of the animated show? Uh, it's phenomenal. I think it's. It's up there with some of the best Transformers series. I agree. I agree. It, it's. Uh, I don't know if I would say it's the best, but it's definitely. It's definitely one of the ones where, I think, say like um, now, now that we've got probably like another ten years of shows since then, or more. Yes, it it came out in two thousand and seven and ran till two thousand and nine. So yes, we've had te- over ten years. I would recommend Transformers Animated to anyone now more than any other show um, because it's a show that is very good for newcomers. Like if and it's, I mean, it's even better if you know stuff about Transformers, but if someone's stepping into the franchise for the first time, Animated would be the definitely the show I would recommend. I, I do agree with you on that. I think it's the least dated. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah, it, it works as, a, as an introduction. Even if because it's so stylistically different, mm-hmm. that would be the only. I think that would be the only problem. I think the fact that it is so wildly different in style to almost everything else, mm-hmm. it it would it would be a little bit jarring in that respect. But otherwise, absolutely agree with you. It's a show that I think, like we mentioned before, I think it's got a really good balance of the callbacks, the cameos, the Easter eggs. All of that stuff for the older fans, but there is something to be said about the style and the way the stories were told um, for new people as well. So I think it's in that respect, it's definitely it's right up there with some of the, mm. the best shows. And another thing it balances really well is being a a kids TV show, superhero show, mm-hmm. with a longer running, deeper, darker, more adult storyline that the older fans can latch onto. Mm-hmm. It does both really well, I think. And it gets better as it goes on. Yeah. There's some real dark stuff in there that as a kid you could probably ignore or not notice, but mm-hmm. it's definitely there. Like yeah, PTSD kind of stuff with Ratchet and um the whole stuff about Prowl redeeming himself as it were. Mm-hmm. Like there's lots of like you said, everybody's got a backstory, and they mostly are resolved mm-hmm. in a in a pretty satisfying way. Even the uh, introduction of newer characters as the show goes along, like it's, mm. I think it fits really well. Like in other shows, like people just turn up, and you expect them. Oh yeah, you've been my buddy since you know, <laughs> Stellar Cycles. How has it been? Yeah, you know, but, you know they have characters introduced to. Obviously, they don't know, mm. and they build some sort of connection with, and you may see them again as the show goes along, and it pays off. And they don't—they don't allow 
the show to be in service of the toy line. Mm-hmm. They don't have that kind of like, we must introduce new characters all the time. So, because toys, toys, mm-hmm. toys. They don't do that. The first season, you, you don't get many new new toys introduced. And you get you get characters who don't even have toys get quite a bit of um attention. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like the superhero, sorry, the supervillains and so on. And uh, you don't, I mean, in season one, what you get, the Dinobots introduced. Um... Uh, lockdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there much else? Uh, well, I suppose you. I suppose you see Sentinel Prime and RC and Little One, and again, you know, not all these necessarily got toys, but it's not. It's not like bam, bam, every episode, new character, new toy. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't do that. It passes it out nicely. Yeah, it doesn't kind of. Screw the pooch in 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 terms of um of narrative in order to go. This one's out now. Go buy this one. <laughs> Doesn't do that, which I think is really good. There's even a nice balance of the um. Uh, they clearly have Cybertronian modes at the beginning. Yes, and a lot of characters have at least a robot design that's different to the design that's a scanner form, mm-hmm. like Prime Ratchet. And Megatron, who I think do get toys of those versions, as well as their Earth Mode versions. Yeah, but there's did. other characters that do that, but it doesn't like force toys of like the UFO Bumblebee or something like there. Like, it... was there a UFO Bumblebee? No, but I mean, like they. You know, oh no, they no. didn't do that. So like, no stuff like that as well. Like it, they could have easily done two of each character to sell toys, or you know. Yeah, they could, and then and they did in some cases. Yeah, like not everybody, not not always. Not yeah. yeah, and there are subtle differences in how they looked when they were on Cybertron to how they look on Earth. I think Prowl mm-hmm. looks a bit different as well. Back mm-hmm. in Cybertron, yeah, yeah. yeah. The only one who doesn't is Black Arachnia, and Bumblebee. Really, Bumblebee doesn't look much different. He does. Because <laughs> so there's the whole there's a the whole thing about oh, why I, he looks I, like I just, I, I just switch <laughs> off when he's on screen anyway. Him, Wasp, and Cliffjumper have the same body mold, and they make a you know whole thing about. That. Yeah, I know, I know, yeah, they, I know they do. Yeah, but he doesn't look terribly different, or not enough that I really noticed. I suppose he might, he probably does. But like, just just finish off talking about what we thought of the show. We should probably talk about what, what about what people thought of the show. It was mm-hmm. pretty successful. Mm-hmm. It was a number one television show amongst boys aged six to eleven. On both cable network and tele, on cable, cable and network television, <laughs> and it lifted the ratings of the neighbouring shows in the Cartoon Network's dynamic action scheduling block. So it was actually a fairly popular show. Obviously, fans complained about it at first of being too kiddie orientated, but they soon changed their tune, mm-hmm. and it's actually held with quite high regard by a lot of fans. I think. It popped up a lot when we went to TF Nation, like, uh, mm. people's love for it. You know, it was definitely felt in the dealer room and at the, the bar, people were talking about animators. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I think it's, it's, it was a, it was a, a really good show. And it, like you were saying, mate, one of the best. I'd say it is one of the best. I mean, there are shows that I think are better, mm-hmm. but, um, but it's, I mean, for me, it's probably behind, as far as television shows, Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're, if we're just if we're talk, going to talk about fiction, it goes a bit further down the uh, the list. But <laughs> talking about television shows, 
I would say it's behind Beast Wars and Beast Machines as either the second or third favorite, my my second or third favorite Transformers TV series. I I, I agree. I think it's um, it's down to the, the the characters and the risks that were taken mm-hmm. um, in both um, those shows. Really, it's uh, probably why uh, animated. I can understand why other people might be drawn to it a bit more than Beast Wars because of the whole organic modes thing. But uh, it it's definitely something that it's a good example of when Transformers does stuff right in terms of toys, fiction, character development. Like it's a real good example of of that. Yeah. And, you know, it's felt in the fandom because there's a want these characters to come back, these these designs to come back. There's a which sadly doesn't suit me too much sign off. Well, maybe. <laughs> I mean, we'll get onto that. We'll get onto that a little bit later. But um, yeah. I mean, it it is really good, and it's it's just a shame that it got cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what's that? It's the tedium alarm. <laughs> Shit, we've been talking about Transformers animated for almost two hours already. Time flies when you're talking about cancelled cartoons, doesn't it? <laughs> talking of which, we're getting on to the cancellation, the theme tune, the comics, the video game, and other miscellaneous nonsense, but most importantly, the toys, in part two of this podcast, due out in a couple of weeks. Feel free to lodge your complaints or sing our praises for part one on social media. Find me at at Ryan or Ryan underscore gear on Twitter and Instagram, respectively. Dave, where can they go and blame you for this mess? You can always find me on Instagram, virtualdave26. Excellent. Don't forget that if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can let us know by liking, subscribing, sharing, reviewing, etc, etc. We really appreciate it. Not only that, if you want to show your appreciation with actual money, go to www.patreon.com slash artmyoptics. Don't forget the double A. Also, for patrons only... We put this episode up in its entirety, so you'll get to listen to it all two weeks ahead of the masses. Nice perk, right? Hmm. Right, we're off. Thanks for listening, and please join us next time on... Out of my optics! optics.